latest from Scotston. This is Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors' official podcast. Hello and welcome back to Warriors Weekly. On this week's show, I'm joined by Craig as always, and I'm also joined by, I don't use the word legend very lightly, but I think for this man we have to, Glasgow Warriors' highest point scorer, warrior number 119, Dan Parks. Dan, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Duncan. And Craig, it's good to be here. Thanks very much for the invite. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you guys. And how's the weather with you over there? Obviously, um, you guys are coming into winter now. But we are. Um, but yeah, we're a bit chilly, a bit chilly of a morning and, uh, and an evening. It's evening now. It's about 6.05 here on a beautiful balmy Tuesday evening. It's probably about, I'd say, nearing about 10 or 11 degrees. Um, but by day, you know, the days have been absolutely sparklingly beautiful. Um, you know, we're looking at about 20 degrees, but it's still a real chill in the air. Um, but yeah, this is my favourite, I guess, probably my favourite time of the year when it's a bit colder and, um, yeah, you can sort of get a, just around a pair of shorts and a jumper. But um, yeah, we're, uh, I certainly, I'm sure it's a lot colder than that, as we all know, in the middle of winter in um, in uh, in the UK. But uh, but yeah, I remember fondly a lot of those um, early morning training sessions uh, arriving to Warriors in in January at the Palace of Arts. That was our training venue. I remember uh, in the in the in the last couple of years anyway. While I was at Glasgow, did you make your debut at Firhill? Um, I think my first start was actually against Munster. I'm sure it was at um, um, in Cork Musgrave. Would that be right? Musgrave Park is that the name of that park? Yeah, and um, Jeremy Staunton was the ten for Munster, and and because O'Gara wasn't playing, we we sort of thought we might have a chance of winning. So we went there with all this hope. But um, yeah, uh, Staunton had a pretty good game. We I think we lost twenty six ten that night. But I, I, yeah, I think that were that were my first couple of games, and that was my I'm sure it was my first start. And uh, when you're talking back to the, the time, obviously by the fact you're going back to to Bridge End, um, is is going back a few years. But who? Who were your, your sort of teammates in the, the back line at that point? Just if there's, there's guys that are listening for a few familiar names, obviously yourself being one of them. Um, who, who, were you, who were you throwing the ball to at that point? Well, we had, I'm pretty sure there was Rory Kerr was back at 15. He was in that sort of position. Andrew, my good mate, Andrew Henderson was around. Um, G-Dog, Graham Morrison, he was a young fellow then. I still remember one of the first things I said to, to Graham and, I asked him if he knew a person I knew and he just sort of looked at me and he just said, no, he gave me very little. And I'm sure you all know G-Dog by now. And yeah, he, he took a while to warm to me, but once he did warm, we, we became great mates and we were still in touch to, to this day. So um, yeah, G-Dog was around. Um, uh, Bevy, Graham Beveridge was around. Uh, I think Snowy Metcalf, I'm sure he was around as well. Um, and then, Forwards-wise, uh, well, obviously Andrew Hall, Lee Harrison, and my old mate Lee um, Ewan Murray. He, Ewan was a very young fellow at the time as well. But yeah, that was some of the names that I remember from back then. But I remember Neil Jenkins was the um, you know the sort of twilight of his playing career. He was certainly playing for Bridge End, and again, I didn't really know too many players at that stage, but became to know them pretty quickly soon after. Was, was there someone that kind of took you under your their wing initially when you turned up? Um, well, I was living, so Sam Pinder, I was, when I first moved to Glasgow, Sam Pinder was, um, he was living with me. Um, he, I basically moved in with him. We were down at, uh, Huendon Gardens, uh, back in the old days. And, and it was Tommy, Tommy Hayes's old house. 
Okay. So when Tommy Hayes, I think he was at Worcester at the time, and he had a he bought the place there at Hewitt and Garden. So um, I was there with Sam initially, and then Sam moved out within a week or two, and he got a place in the old Warriors Terrace, which is where I then moved to um, soon after I bought an apartment there, and then again, um, which is uh, Annie's Land, Annie's Land, and um, yeah. So what happened from there was um, a couple of years later, I moved out of there. You and Murray bought my apartment. And I moved into one of the townhouses further down the road. So at the time, man, it was, it was a real Antipodean affair at the time because there was, um, well, there was Kelvin Howarth. There was, um, uh, what's his name? Oh God. Well, Sam Pinder was in the area. And then there was other, you know, young Scots. Um, Scott Lawson lived across the road. Um, oh, I can't think of his name. I don't want to say his nickname because that wouldn't sound very good. Uh, but it would come to me and, uh, and then there was uh, years to come. Paul Dillove moved into the area, and yeah, it was all sorts of warriors. Ewan obviously was there. Muffles was a Andrew Henderson moved into the area on the other side of the roundabout. So yeah, there was a lot of Glasgow Warriors players living in that area. So it was it was good and it was really handy. We we had many um, yeah some good times back in uh, back in the day. And and with the houses changing hands so often, and I guess going to other players, were you ever leaving housewarming gifts or any little kind of little things for them to find? When the new tenant, <laughs> well, no, that wasn't really my game, but there was certainly that sort of stuff going on. Um, no, the, um, Graham Beveridge was another one that was lived in the area, so there was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just good, yeah, good times. You know, we used to have um, Gareth, Gareth McClure. Is Gareth McClure? Is that his name? Yeah. Um, is that his last name? Gareth. I'm sure it was Gareth McClure. He used to, him and Scott, Scott Lawson, Barney lived together, and they used to, they were on the first floor, and they used to, um, yeah, they had like a pellet gun. And um, Nathan Ross was actually in the area as well. He's another one. And they used to pellet Nathan all the time. And because, you know, back, it was just, it was just the way the setup was. And, you know, for me, I was sort of not used to living in that type of environment. It was almost like living in sort of dorms in many ways. Yeah. You had people who had families, you had these single blokes. And um, no, it was good. It was good times, that's for sure. And I sort of moved there. I was up the road further, as I said, in an apartment with my partner at the time. And so we were sort of away from it. We'd only come down and have card nights at um, Kelvin's house, Hobbsy's and those type of things. But yeah, they're, they're the things you really, um, you do. Now that I'm talking about them, I haven't talked about these type of things for years, like mm-hmm. 15 years or not so much 15 years, like maybe 10 years. But And they were really fun times. Like, uh, you know, the Tuesday nights, um, you know, either at Bevy's house or um, Tree, old Nathan Rosson or or Hobbsy's house, or we'd even go to Stuart Moffat's house and who lived in, I can't think of the name of that area. It's, it's near Graham G-Dog's house now, but yeah, some, um, some good times playing cards and, and just being around the guys, you know, it was, it was good times. We, we had a uh, Kevin Kachuk on the podcast last week and he was saying the same thing, kind of reminiscing about stuff we hadn't thought about in years. And one thing he asked yeah. us to speak to you about was um, your skits and your impressions. He says, there's one that stands out with you and the Evan brothers from a few good men that he says was oh. iconic and stands out to him. Yeah, well, actually, no, it's not the Evans brothers. Uh, the Tom, Tom and Max, they, they've got their own. They've done some many great skits over the years. But we had a, um, we had, it was 2009, and it was during, just before the uh, autumn series, and basically we had like a, we, we'd have, back then we had Dan Turner, Colin Gregor, and I think Chris O'Young, if he wasn't there then, would have been Scott Barrow. They were sort of our social guys in charge of us. And they put on all these different events, but we had this um, Academy Awards event one night. And so what they did was they basically broke you down into 
twos, threes, fours, or fives, and they then um, picked you out a movie. And anyway, it was myself and Peter Horn. All right. And we were given uh, a few good men. So Pete obviously played Tom Cruise, and I played Jack Nicholson in that famous scene where um, I'm sure you know the one. I, I'd, again, I haven't done that or even gone back on that for 10 years. But we, what we did was we, so let's say we found out a month in advance. It was at, um, I can't even think of the name, the bar in, in Glasgow City Centre. It wasn't a bar that we would frequent oftenly. It was just one of those ones where first floor, we got a private room, it was a big room, and um, it, was, it was wonderful. So we all, everyone dressed in character. And I remember John Welsh, he came as um, Jerry Maguire, but he was Jerry and Ray Tidwell. So he was both. So he had half his, he had he'd made an outfit. So half his body was obviously Jerry and the other half was Ray. It was just fantastic. He, he actually ended up coming second and Pete and I won the night. And, um, and again, but we spent every Tuesday. So we would train and then he'd come over on a Tuesday afternoon after training. And we would spend an hour, an hour and a half right, rehearsing our lines to get this spot on. And um, yeah, so yeah, it was me and Pete. And that sort of, that was the start, because I've known Pete, well, that was 09, but I knew Pete a few years previous when he was just a kid. And um, yeah, he's another one that I've remained in touch with all these years and spoken to him numerous times uh, about different things he's encountered throughout his career and, you know, in different ways to possibly deal with it or or um, just different pieces of advice. So, um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a great memory and it was a great night. And I still remember, I, I, we, we both won a trophy each, so we're given a like a little, yeah, you can just buy these little crappy trophies, but it was like a picture of a, like a, a somewhat of an Academy Award. And Rob Dewey, Rob Dewey said, oh, can I have a look at that? And he grabbed it and just went, Shh, and just snapped it in half. Like it was, like it was so annoying. Because you can imagine I'm all excited and, and I got my trophy and I was like, oh, this is awesome. All that time and effort. Speech. And it was just, but it was just Rob. That, that was Rob to a T. He's like, I can't have a look at that. And just went, yeah, there you go. That was it. So, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. A bit like, you know, the similar sort of mindset to a Ferg Thompson, you know. It's funny even just saying that name, Rob Dewey. Another guy, I see him on Facebook, but I haven't mentioned his name in God knows how long. Ferg Thompson, I, last time I would have seen him was at a, a wedding we went to, which was um, Mark McMillan's wedding. So, yeah, all these names that we, we think about from the past there, they're yeah. still in the memory. I think, I think the big question from that is, uh, are, you, are, you a, are you a method actor or did you just sort of go with it, just roll it? Did you sort of immerse yourself in the character for about six months previously, or just... <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No, not necessarily. No, but I did. Uh, but you know, there were certain movies like I. There's certain movies I just know. Now that movie, um, I didn't particularly know, but I had a fair handle on it. And to me, it was just all about learning that one line or that one sequence. So I'm sure you know it, where he gets all worked up, Nicholson and yeah. uh, Colonel Jessup, and in the end he, you know, he completely fires up. So he's always been so calm, but then in this scene he gets really riled up. And yeah, so I wanted to get right on character, and and Pete was wonderful in his role. He played it down to a T. He was patient. He was, you know, I'm I'm sure you guys know Pete. You know, it's the kind of guy he is. He does things probably like his rugby. He trains very very hard, and he he put the same sort of effort into this. As I said, he was only a young fella, and yeah, we had a great time. That was just a, uh, God, it was, yeah, that's amazing to think that was a, nearly 11 years ago. So, well, something else that was 11 years ago. So I was looking, I was having a, a trawl around beforehand and I'd found one or two interviews that we had done on Warriors HQ back in 2015 with you. 
And you'd been asked then what your highlights were of your Glasgow career. And you'd mentioned Toulouse in 2009 and Baritz in 2007 as two kind of standout wins for you. Would you say that would still be the case? Toulouse, okay, let me just, I'm trying to remember Baritz in 07. Um, oh, that was, yeah, yes, John Barkley had a wonderful night. Jeez, John Barkley would have been young then. Yep, very young. Seven. We, yeah, we, found a few, we found a few of the, uh, the sort of flashback photos from, from early on in the Killer Bees. Or, or, you, you oh, do a time yeah. yeah, no, they were, um, yeah, they were, they were formidable after those three. Yeah, we were lucky to get Kelly. That was, what are you going to, 06, did the borders go? Was that about right or 05? Yeah. Round about that, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that, that was obviously Beerits. That was a, that was a wonderful night because a lot of our best wins, like you talk about that one there, the Beerits and the, the Toulouse ones, I think they were both nights where, you know, as, as again, everyone thinks they, you know, wants to say they're going to win, but you know, the reality is, do you really believe it? Um, and I think on both of those nights, we just sort of went out there and, you know, we noticed early on that, Hey, things are going our way here. This, this could work out. Um, and that was, I think, to be honest, like that was probably how those sort of nights evolved. Like that, to lose one, like that was a Sunday afternoon. It was cold. Um, it was a beautiful day. And um, yeah, it was just a really good build up. Again, I remember meeting in the, we had a good chat and, uh, before the game. Sean was like, you know what, guys, we've got nothing to lose. I think it was round five, round five of the pool stages. And um, he said, we've got nothing to lose. And let's just go out there and actually see if we can do something pretty special. But if you think about it, the team we had, if it, if it sparked, we were very, very good, which we, we proved on that day. Um, Tom had a good game. You know, you mentioned already the Killer Bees. They all had good games. Um, we, the referee, um, we got, we, I'm not going to say we got lucky, but we got a lot of uh, penalty calls that went our way, which meant that we could sort of keep building the scoreboard. And then before we knew it, we were in a position 33-9, I think it was. And we were um, with like seven minutes to go. And I was like, far out. And then all of a sudden, they were like, shit, we need to do something out of this game. And they, you know, they scored two tries. And then thankfully, there was like a minute to go. And I can't think of the name of the 10, the South African 10 who was there. And instead of going, for example, to the corner to potentially score a try and then have time to score another try, they actually took a shot at goal because they wanted to get a bonus point. So, and they kicked it, which meant pretty much full time. So we ended up winning 33-26. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it, was some, it was some game, but I think the night um, sort of <laughs> was a good one too. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we ended up in uh, some, of the, some of the two, I think with Trevor Brennan's pub, we ended up in, I think Vince on Clerk ended up, um, I think it was a Saturday actually. It was a Saturday afternoon because they were, it was Vince on Clerk. I remember we had a few beers with him and, yeah, that's always good memories as well and, and, and good when you can go back and look at and remember those times that, you know, even the players, for example, a team like Toulouse who at that time were at the peak of their powers, that, you know, their, their boys were still out and about and willing to have a beer with an opposition. So I always think, I, I remember times of that. I think that's very important. I might be wrong, but I think they went on to win the European Cup that year as well. They, they probably, yeah, they the, may well yeah. have. I think that was, the, that was the catalyst of the springboard that they needed to, yeah. to get them back on on task because you know like we went there that day um you know as i said not expecting to win um expecting to put up a good show and and show what our players are capable of doing but as it turned out we just we just had a great day and we 
we accumulated points at the right time. We had a good lead at half time. We came back out to start the second half, got a few penalties. And as I said before, we knew it were in a really commanding position. Whereas if you go back to my first experience in Toulouse, which I think was in 03 or 04, um, I'll never forget Isatola Marka. Uh, I'm sure he'd scored three tries in the first half. Rory Kerr would have scored a try in that game as well. And then we've all come back out after halftime. We're down like 38 to 7 or something like that. And Marka is sitting in the dugout, completely changed, and smoking a cigarette. Like, <laughs> and to me, that sort of, it sort of just encapsulated everything about Toulouse because it was like, right, job's done. All right, boys, put the, you know, the cue in the rack. We've, we've won. Like, it's game over. And I think it ended up being 40 to 28 or something like that in the end. Like, you know, we brought our reserves on. They'd put their reserves on. They'd given up. You know, they've won the game. And, you know, so we scored a few points late in the game. But it was just classic that that's, for me, that was my first introduction into French rugby and, and how brilliant they can be. And then, oh, well, game over type thing. Yeah. So, but that was a, yeah, lasting memory for me. Micah smoking a cigarette. And, and look, I would have, geez, I would never have thought that was possible for a, you know, I could never imagine a coach's response if I was sitting there having a cigarette, let alone in a change room, you know, in the dugout while the game's just at half time. But that's, that's, that's the way it was. <laughs> that was the French rugby back then. Well, mate, who knows? I'm, I'm sure it probably still goes on now in some, in some circles, you know, if you got, that's the thing at the end of the day, man, if whatever floats people's boats and if that's what that gets them to play well, then, you know, coaches aren't going to stand in their way. I've been I'm sure we've all been watching the last, the last dance at the moment with Michael Jordan and, yeah. you know, sort of seeing what's some of the stuff that used to go on there. Like, you know, Michael Rod, um, Dennis Rodman, like you, you imagine <laughs> letting a bloke go away for 90 hours and basically do whatever he wanted. But then Michael Jordan then appears on his doorstep and Carmen Electra hiding. Like it's just, it's quite remarkable. It really is. It's mad. Are there, are there any standout moments? Cause those are both in Europe. Are there, are there standout moments for you from what would have been the pro 12th? At that point there, I've got one down here from um, April 2008, where you scored all of the points in the 1872 Cup. So two tries, two conversions, a penalty and two drop goals to win 23-11 and actually allow Glasgow to win the 1872 Cup and retain the 1872 Cup that year. Yeah, I remember that game. I think that was where I put, again, I put a, um, a crossfield kick to Tom. No, to John Barkley. And John Barkley caught it, passed it inside to Tom. Tom looked like he was going to score and then passed it inside myself. And then I scored and then Hugo Southwell came over the top and elbowed me in the head um, after I'd scored. Uh, again, Hugo, good friend of mine, but yeah, that's, uh, I remember that game. Yeah, that was, that was obviously a nice, that was a nice night. Um, I think they'd beaten us in the first league if I'm, yeah, the, was that yeah, the they one, had. 2008, was that the one where we took the lead and then they, scored a crazy try maybe through Ben Kens or Nick DeLuca. Quite um, possibly. So we'd, we'd score. I'd, I'd actually scored a try in the corner. Um, we'd taken the lead. Then they had a line out and, or we lost the line out. And then somehow, I think it was, it was either, I think it might've been Nick DeLuca went straight through a hole, passed to Ben Kearns and they won the game. Like it was like, what the hell? We've just won. And now with one minute left, we've let it go. And I think that that was, that could have been that year and the following week we went out and, and one, but yeah, obviously those those type of memories. I guess my last game um, at Firhill with as a warrior. Um, again, I can't remember who it was against. I know we won. It might have been against Leinster. 
I think it was against Leinster and just before the um they, they rested players um and we won yeah we won the game comfortably that was before we played uh, Ospreys in the um semi-final at Liberty Stadium where we unfortunately we didn't we didn't play well that day and we missed out but yeah that would be certainly a standout just the, the send off I got in 2010 um what else we got oh this as I said I'm sure if you brought up games I could recall them but um yeah no I had many many fond memories of being a, a Glasgow warrior and um you know even being back at Glasgow since since my retirement um you know to call I called some games with um with different uh, media outlets and I, I just enjoyed being back there it was actually really nice to see a lot of old faces and people you might not have seen for years and you know you recognize them instantly a lot of the the fans in the early days when Glasgow wasn't a popular rugby team to support um, you know, there wasn't many fans, but there was some really, sorry, there, there wasn't a great number of fans, but the fans we did have were extremely loyal and got right behind us. And, um, yeah, and, you know, those people, even today, I got a, um, I saw a LinkedIn message not too long, not LinkedIn, um, Twitter message, and I responded to two of the people on there. And, you know, again, those memories, they will never go. Like, that was 17 years ago. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, those type of things I remember, you know, not just all about games, but a lot of the off-the-field stuff is... Is just as important for me. Everyone talks. On you go, Craig. I'll let you lead. No, just just when you're uh, you're talking about the the Edinburgh games and, and Hugo uh, Hugo elbowing you in the head, it, it always seemed from from a fan's point of view about them they sort of particularly enjoy the the games against Edinburgh. Was, was it something you ever consciously thought of that it was a, a game against the the cross country team or uh, well, just the, the occasion I, that got it? Yeah, I think it was more so. Um, well, it's like anything. It's you know they're your rival. You want to be seen as you know, even if you weren't having a good year and they were having a good year, you wanted to beat them and you wanted to prove that you were better, you had the wood on them. So um, that's certainly the way I looked at those games. There was, um, yeah, no, we had some classics over the years and, um, yeah, that would be the biggest thing I would say. And there was, you could tell as well, there was different times we played. You knew after five minutes who was going to win. Like I, I, you know, as I said, I played in many of them and I would know straight away. Um you know, me and Mike, Mike Blair, were still good buddies to this day. And, you know, that was a big thing we used to always talk about was how much we we want. And, we, you know, we both knew. That, that was a thing for me. I could always tell. There was games where Mike, if Mike was right up for it and his other blokes were following him, you just knew it was going to be a really hard day. Um, and there was, other, as I said, there was other days where, you know, we we were never going to be headed. 20, so 9-10, 9 2010, like, to me, that was, we were always in control. We had a first... We had a great result. The first one up in um, up in Edinburgh, Nick Store Tony scored a good try from a, a crossfield kick. I remember um, that was a good night. We had a good win there, and then we came back and we just didn't give them a chance at um, at Fair Hill the next week. You know those sort of memories. You know, the, and that was important to me. Obviously, the uh, the Edinburgh crowd didn't particularly appreciate me, so I always used to like, um, I guess, playing well in that sort of environment. You know, that, they're the sort of things that would spur me on and. Um, but as you know, um, rugby is a team sport. You've got to be able to then motivate the rest of your players around you because the reality is, unfortunately, you, you're not always going to play to 100% of your level. You just can't. It's impossible. As much as you want to and you, you, you think you're going to, you just don't. So you've got to be able to get everyone up around you. And, you know, when you are having those downtimes in games, that you know, you've got the others that are there to, to, to I guess, lift that burden and, and lift the rest of the team and then get you back on path you know, if you're not having the best of games, because it's inevitable, as I said, I think there's only one, I think Lee Halfpenny's game when he was out here playing 
for the Lions against Australia was near enough to a 10 out of 10 game I've ever seen. But there's not many games that you see players play. Or Dan Carter, mind you, he had a hell of a game against the Lions in New Zealand. But, you know, as I said, there's not too many you could actually say that someone's up 80 minutes of a game completely. And, and I'm, I'm looking at your, your points tally here, and it's broken down into tries, penalties, conversions, and drop goals. And it has you having scored 26 drop goals. And obviously, when I spoke about the 1872 Cup there, you scored two drop goals. Now, I feel like the drop goals kind of gone away a little bit from the modern game. Why is that? And I guess, do you, do you think, we, uh, I guess these days, would you miss the art of the drop goal? Oh, yeah. Um, if I was still playing, I'd, I'd still be doing them. Yeah. Um, it, was my old, it was my old man that sort of first brought my attention to it. Like I, when I was a, you know, as a kid, I was sort of doing them. And I think the drop goal was, a lot of it was around, um, I'm not going to say taking, taking the piss. It, it wasn't taking the piss. It was just, you might do it, you know, for example, if you had a bigger lead and you just do it just to accumulate the, the scoreboard. But what I realised when I came over to the, to the UK was how important not high scoring games were. So the lower the scores, the more important, obviously a drop goal would become. So, um, and that's how it sort of, for me, you know, as in my old man, would, I'd speak to him, you know, weekly and he would sort of say, Matt, just start bringing into your game. You know, if you get advantage, take the shot. Cause if you miss it, you've always got the penalty or, you know, all these little things. And then bit by bit, I just started doing them. And then, um, yeah, they're just different games. I would, I guess you just see more opportunity. The French, do it, as you know, that they, they were always a team that used to do it. And I remember um, Beeritz, the Damien Tries of this world, uh, Yashvili, um, these type of blokes, it used to really, really piss me off when they used to do it. Because you think, you, you know, that, what, this wasn't with penalty advantage, this is just playing. Um, and then all of a sudden you'd be defending, defending, and then, you know, you'd see one of them drop back and you know it was coming, but you couldn't stop it. And it, it, it used to really frustrate me. So... That was another thing that spurred me on to be like, well, I'm going to do the same. I'm just going to, you know, and then there were certain test matches that I did. I know Wales in particular, I popped a couple of games back in uh, 2010. And, and, you know, those sort of things, they would they just eat away at you when you, you know, you, you can't penetrate, but you're doing that. I think the, um, there was an Ulster game. I kicked four in one game. And, um, and that was at Fir Hill. Ulster's defence was really good. But we just kept finding ourselves right in front of the post. And it was like, well... I might as well just keep taking them because it was there was no pressure. It was sort of weird, like we couldn't score, but it didn't matter because we only scored one try and we had to score four tries for a bonus. So, yeah, that was what we did. But now, as I said, yeah, they're not as, um, I guess, as frequent. And yeah, to me, I just think if you're good at them, it's a very easy way to score three points. Like very easy. You work so hard to get a penalty, as you know. A lot of teams, that's what they do. They they don't they hold the ball to get a penalty. They don't hold the ball to score a try because the reality is they probably can't, especially if you've got a really well-organised defence. So why not take the three when you can? So, so would you prefer, if you're sitting at the 81st minute, would you prefer to be in the pocket at the 22 going for a drop goal or on the touchline going for three points with a penalty? Uh, well, yeah, well, either, mate, to be honest. It's always, um, you know, that, and, that, that's, and that's, again, why, you know, as a 10 or a decision maker, a playmaker, you love being in those positions. It's that buzz, that you know, that real adrenaline you feel, um, you know, that it can really spur you on. And I, I, I'm just, I'm going back to a game. I was playing for Connacht and it was against Edinburgh and Greg Laidlaw. He was on me in that last five minutes. He knew exactly what I was trying to do. They led by a point and he was on me. He did not let me get any, go anywhere. 
because he knew what I was trying to do. What I was setting up for was just to drop goal. And just, and again, the smarts of him, because he's, he understands right foot kicker, I've got a charge on his right side. Because, you know, quite often you would have these, you know, the people that wouldn't be as switched on to it. They come from your inside. It's pointless coming from your inside because you're kicking on the outside of your foot, if that makes sense, if you're a right footer. So, you know, whereas him, he would be in the bloody defensive line, four out of five out. And I knew he was there. And, yeah, and eventually, yeah, he um, he put enough pressure on me that I um, I got charged down or, or the, sprayed the kick and, you know, we ended up losing the game by a point. But, um, yeah, when you when I think about those moments, there's obviously a lot that went over, but I remember that one in particular. It didn't. And it was because, you know, you got another bloke who would be doing exactly the same for his team and he understands how it, what it means to put that pressure on. You mentioned playing for, for Connacht there. Um, now, I, I don't want to say this definitely because I don't know the answer for certain, but I think you might be the first person we've had on, certainly for a long time, that's also played against the Warriors as well as for mm. them. Um, what, sort of re- what sort of reception did you get from the, the fans when you were coming back in a, in a Connacht or a Cardiff shirt? Is it still a, a sort of friendly as you, well, you were when you were playing it? The funny thing is, is... I only played against Glasgow once. So what happened was the the first year when we played um, Glasgow, I actually I've got a feeling the first year when I was at Cardiff we didn't play against Glasgow away. Okay. The second year we did play, but it was the only game all year I didn't get picked for for Cardiff. All right. And I don't know why Kerry Sweeney played, but Gavin Henson came up. That was the night that Gavin Henson got in trouble in Glasgow. All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was actually a really good game to miss. Um, and because I'm sure, as you know, I probably would have been out with Gavin. So um, it was actually a good one to miss. And, um, yeah, so I, I didn't play for Cardiff against Glasgow in in Glasgow. Whereas um, the first year against Connacht, I was injured because my first year at Connacht, I got injured. I did my calf. It was actually fun enough that my most serious injury of my career it kept me out for 12 weeks or eight weeks of the preseason. And then I missed the first four weeks of the, of the rounds. And, um, and then I came back, I played against Leinster and at home in the first game for Connacht um, that year. So I didn't play against Glasgow in the first, in the first year I played against them in the last round at uh, Galway and they smashed us 20 to three. And I remember that was the first time I saw um, Nico Matuwalu play. Right. And I was like, wow, look at this bloke. He was, he was making all these weird noises throughout the whole game. And he was just, he was nonstop. And he, he's a small bloke, but geez, he was tough. I was very, very impressed. And yeah, they, they were a different outfit there. That was the year they, to me, they were, they were really good. That was um, 2010. That was the start of, I think, Glasgow looking good. No, sorry, 2010. 2012-13. And then the following year, I did play against Glasgow. And um, I was on the bench. Craig Ronaldson, I think, started, and I came off the bench. And it was weird. I got a an interesting reception. Whenever I touched – when I came on, I got clapped on. Um, but when I was playing, as soon as I touched it, I got jeered. <laughs> uh, yeah, they were at me. And I remember I got, I got corked as well. So something happened early in the game, and someone corked me. It was probably someone like Rob Harley, someone awkward. And he um, – but he corked me early in the game. Like, I got on with 25 to go. And I'd, I'll never forget it because I wasn't, you know, I was at an, I was sort of towards the, the end of my career. I was 30, just, just about to turn 36. And buddy, as I said, I think it was Rob. He freaking, uh, yeah, he, um, or it could have been Swinson maybe, one of those two, 
but they bloody corked me and it just really, really um, hurt and it sort of ruined my whole uh, welcome back. But uh, I mentioned those fans earlier on that I hadn't, um, that I'd sort of remained in touch with. You know, those fans were there and uh, after the game I had a few photos and catching up with all those type of guys. So, you know, that was a nice memory, but uh, we didn't, we didn't have a, we didn't play well as a team. We, we were in, we had a chance, but at the end of the day, Glasgow was too strong and it was on a Sunday afternoon. I remember that. Typical weather. It was it probably rained in the morning. It was sort of drizzly in the afternoon, so it wasn't the most pleasurable um, conditions to play. But you know, I was used to those. But I wasn't used to being in Glasgow and not being cheered for because that was the one ground I could always rely uh, worldwide that I would get the support. And uh, I didn't. I didn't my last game. Even back, even back since, as a as a fan or a, um, presented the match ball. Yeah, I presented the match ball. I did do that. Um, I'm going to say that would have been in um, 2015, the start of 2015. I can't think of the game. I'm thinking Ospreys for some reason. Um, and then, as I said, I was back. So I was back that night. Um, I remember having a good chat with Finn Russell that night um, in Oren Moore. Uh, there was a few other guys obviously there, but I remember talking to him. Um, just about his, his footy. That was in the early stages of, of Finn, I guess, starting to progress up the ladder. Um, but, yeah, there was um, – yeah, and then I was there a few other times. I did a few commentary games after that Heineken Cup with Sky Sports. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, great setup the the Scotston there. And, um, yes, yeah, so again, more great memories. But, yeah, my the majority of my memories were certainly as a player at Hewenden. Um, again, Good times. My one of the saddest nights there was when we were playing Munster. We took a lead. Where they kick off, there's no time left. They just got time for the kick off. They kicked off. Um, one of their players could have been um, the six. What's his name? Quinlan bashes the ball back. Three phases later, O'Gara from 40 out slots a drop goal, and it was like wow, that was a heartbreaking night. Um, but yeah, there was other yeah memorable nights at Hewenden. I really enjoyed playing there. And then we went to Fur Hill, that was, um, yeah, for me, that was a, I really enjoyed playing there. I, I don't remember um, ever having really, you know, nights where we got beaten badly. You know, I think we had a pretty good record there. And again, you had loyal fans, you know, they only could only sit in that one stand. But after games up in the, you know, the function rooms, it was always, it was always pleasant. You know, you go up there and catch up with all the fans and, uh, and then you come back down to where your family were under the old grandstand there. And um, yeah, it was good memories, you know. And I was watching a, an interview from Warriors HQ, I think, from the day that you'd presented that match ball. And you said that you, were, you had a place in Glasgow that you were in the process of renting out. Do you still have a place in Glasgow? Or is that long gone? No, no I got rid of that um, oh, maybe two years ago. Yeah, so it just sort of... Finally let go. Um, sorry? Finally let go. Yeah, well, I did. I, I, you know, I sort of... I, it was there and it wasn't really doing much. My, the, the old neighbour who I had... Um, who I was good friends with, uh, he'd moved out of the area. So he was sort of keeping an eye on it for me. And yeah, it was sort of one of those things that, well, there's no real point keeping a hold of it. It wasn't exactly barnstorming up in um, in value. So I thought, well, I'll let it go. But, I, you know, it served a great purpose for me. I, I loved I loved what it provided for me. It was, um, it was my home um, for a long time. With all those years I spent away, the four years I spent in, uh, in Cardiff and then Galway. And then I came back to Glasgow for... Uh, for a nine-month period there, up to May 2015, when I when I moved back to Australia. So yeah, no, it was a great spot. I absolutely loved living 
where it was in, in Annie's land there. And as I said, uh, some of the times that I had in there myself and with all the different people that came and went throughout my life. Um, yeah, some great, uh, yeah, fond memories. Yeah. And while doing a little bit of research, I was flicking through our old photo bank and there were some interesting photos of you from throughout the years. So obviously a player of your profile, you must obviously get asked to do a fair few different kind of interesting photo shoots. Is there any that stand out to you as being just a little bit ridiculous or just a little bit weird or something didn't go right? Well, I'm trying to work out where you're going with this, Duncan. Uh, I don't really know. I, I did a photo shoot. I don't shoot. have any lined up, but. Oh, okay. I did a photo shoot in Cardiff and it was for a, fa it was like for rugby world. And it was, oh, I know Lee Halfpenny was involved. And um, I remember they put us in all these funky outfits. Um, but I can't really remember anything of, yeah, I don't, not really. We did a, there was an interesting one. I think it was 06, 07, Mark McMillan, Sam Pinder, maybe Dan Turner were involved in the early days at Fur Hill where we had to, we, I, I used to love the Glasgow jerseys in that period from um, seven to 10. I loved them. They were the like t-shirt style. Um, but you know, they really hugged the body, but this one in particular was quite Flow Gas. I remember was our sponsor. And, um, but yeah, they were really tight, those jerseys. Mark McMillan used to like wearing jerseys at least two shot sizes smaller than what he should. Um, I guess he could pull it off, but yeah, no, nothing in particular, but yeah, they were, they were, again, they were interesting times back then. I'm sure the boys are doing more interesting ones now, but for me, it, there was nothing really of too major, I guess, hilarity. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you retired in 2014. Is that right? That's right. Yep. So, so since retirement, what have you been up to? I was having a little look on Wikipedia. Has you been a skills coach for Samoa in 2018, I think it was? No, that would have been, um, I did that in um, 16. 2016. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I did that in 16. That was, and that was random. That was very, very random. It, funnily enough, it came from an ex-Glasgow player. So Daryl Gibson was coaching the Waratahs. And um, I'd reached out to Daryl because I was doing bits and pieces of coaching. I was working at one of the prominent rugby schools in Sydney, um, St. Ignatius Riverview College. And um, anyway, I Daryl got in touch one day out of the blue and said, would you like to assist coaching Samoa in the Pacific Island Nations? And I was like, what? How is that possible? Anyway, he then teed it up with the coach, which was Alama Irami at the time a good pal of his. And he said, um, I got a phone call from Alama and said, listen, would you be interested? Daryl's going to be here for the first week. Then he's got to get back to Waratahs. We need someone to step in. So I didn't really know what that meant. And I was going, this is really bizarre. It's a big jump from doing schoolboys to go and <laughs> be an assistant, so to speak. But what it ended up being was I was like a, just like a consultant, a bit of help out. You know, I did some work with the kickers, um, bit of skills work, and I was more helping out when, so week one, when I was there, which was the, um, the Georgia week, I was involved. That was the first week I was there. They drew with Georgia. Week two, they actually went to Fiji. So I stayed in Samoa and I trained the players that weren't involved in the 23 um, with Kane Thompson. I don't know if you remember that name. He was, an, he was a Samoan forward and he was there as a, like a line-out coach. So he was back there and we stayed around and helped the, the, um, the extras out. And then the final week was against um, Tonga. So I had a bit more of a role there. And it was just really – what I really enjoyed was just being part of um, a different culture. It was um, 
yeah, it was really fascinating. I, I really enjoyed that side of things. Um, every night you'd be in prayer, you'd be singing. Um, yeah, just things that I'd never really had been around. And I found it, I found it really cool. It was really, as I said, it was just an interesting um, uh, thing for me. And I, it was something I really enjoyed. So I only did that for a couple of weeks. Um, so that, yeah, that was, that was a time in my life when I was sort of working out where I go from here, you know, which unfortunately, or fortunately, which way you look at it, all players, uh, they go through these times, you know, they sort of get to the end of their career and it's like, wow, I've done this and been engrossed in what I've done. Where do I go now? And unfortunately that's the reality is that's, I would say it's at least 80% of the playing population, but that's how it is for them. There's probably the other 20% that are, you know, that have potentially done qualifications or set themselves up in another capacity beforehand. So, um, yeah, it's a tough time. And then what are you up to now? Obviously, we're talking to you right now and you've got an office in the background. Hmm. So, I guess since then, I um, I did bits and pieces of coaching. I've been doing um, uh, commentary over here. I work for uh, the Australian Rugby website. So, I do um, we, we do a lot of Super Rugby games, test matches, um, it's been a great experience. I've been calling games with uh, Gordon Bray, the, the voice of rugby. So, um, yeah, he's been he's been fabulous. There's other callers, Richard Svensson. Um, yes, there's other guys I've done a lot of calling with over here and picking up um, great knowledge uh, through those guys. Um, as well as I've been, you know, working out as a kicking coach in a variety of different platforms. You know, I mentioned schools, individual coaching. Uh, I've done work with, um, you know, East Rugby. I've I work with them the last couple of years. Now, as I'm sure we're aware, COVID right now, that's sort of a bit of a bit of a damper and a bit of a stop to all that. There's not much of that going on at the moment, but um, hopefully that'll re- resume shortly. And um, and also my uh, nine to five job is I've been working as a um, national uh, manager of a logistics, construction logistics firm. So what essentially we do is um, we look after, so suppliers who um, supply to, you know, tier one builders into Australia, um, we then look after their product. So we'll essentially bring their product in from generally it's in China or Asia. We'll bring that product into the country. We'll, we'll house it or warehouse it and then we'll deliver it to their site. So we're just the middleman of the supplier and getting their goods to this, to the site. So, um, yeah, which obviously keeps us busy. We, we work on with tier one. So we're working on large projects here in Sydney, Melbourne and, uh, and Brisbane. So yeah, we're, um, yeah, you know, something for me. A lot of what I do was initially around relationships and um, and getting those you know people into to into the business. But um, yeah, there's a lot more to it than. Well, I guess when I first started, I thought that was the job I was doing. But yeah, you certainly there's a lot more to it than that. And I have one final question. We've asked all of our guests during COVID, which I guess you touched on there. If there was one person you had to be in lockdown with from your playing career from the Glasgow Warriors squad, who would that be and why? Wow. Oh, wow. You did, yeah, there's no warning on that one, is there? No. Well, the first people I think of are um, the guys I spent the most time with. Ewan, so I, I, I'm not going to say name one, but Ewan Murray, I would love to be with him. I don't know if I could handle being in complete lockdown with him. He would drive me absolutely insane uh, just with some of his habits, but he was a great fun guy. Um, mentioned Muffles, uh, Andrew Henderson and Graham Morrison. Um, purely for their humour and just gen- general good guys. Um, but the Evans brothers, you know, I know there's, they come as a package, I guess, but they were my, you know, probably closest sort of buddies and 
the guys that I really enjoyed hanging out with while I was um or while they were at the club, they were they were great company. We had many many great times um, on the field, obviously, you know, with you know how electrifying they both were, um, but certainly off it as well. And um, yeah, so there's plenty of guys I could probably list there, but I don't really want to nail it down to one. But um, if you were to give me more notice, I possibly could have sort of picked one out. But, <laughs> but the great thing about Glasgow, and I'm sure any club you you go to, there's you know, throughout the the generations and the years I was there, there was some really good guys, and you you really take it for granted. I think it's what the message I want to get across is um, now just talking about all these memories. It's bringing back a hell of a lot of um, feelings and 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 good feelings about the times that passed without at the time recognizing those things. And you know, my parents, my father in particular, would always say to me, "Dan, one day you're going to realize how lucky you were." and and the life you had back then, you know, these are your glory days, so to speak. And, and he's so right. Like I look at that and talking about it, thinking about it and reminiscing with you guys, it, it is, they, they really were. And the times we had was so much fun. As I said, it wasn't always just about the on the field. It was a lot was to do with the off field. And a lot of that wasn't just the players. It was the coaches, you know, the Dougie, the Dougie Millses of this world um, that I know are still involved in the club. He was, he was massive, you know, for me, all those years where, you know, he was always a very good friend of mine and someone I would talk to a lot about, not just about footy, but about life and different advices. So, um, yeah, my, my advice to those people out there, the players that might listen, would be, you know, make the most of it. Don't take it for granted because, you know, once, you know, once it's all over, you'll find yourself as me, a 41-year-old guy, and you sort of look back and you remember all these things and you wish, you know, wish I would have made more of... Don't get me wrong, I made most of what I had and I really enjoyed myself but um yeah don't ever underestimate what you're living because to be a professional sportsman is a is a privilege and don't treat it any other way I would say fantastic what a point to end on right thank you very much Dan for joining us this week on Warriors Weekly good on you Duncan and uh, and Craig I've, I've really thoroughly enjoyed um doing this as I said it's brought back a lot of memories I'll go home to my family now and I'm sure I'll talk to my uh, two and a half year old daughter and she won't know what I'm talking about but <laughs> In a year or so, she will. Great. An absolute pleasure, Dan. Thank you. Cheers, Dan. Good on you. Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors official podcast.